Welcome to the Adventure Unfolding Podcast, where we navigate adult ADHD together. I'm Nate. And I'm Jess. I have ADHD. And I don't. And we wanted to share our story with you. Grab a cup of coffee. And your favorite fidget spinner. And come along with us as we unpack our latest adventure. Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode two. Today, Nate has a conversation with Christina Crow. Get ready for this. She is a registered psychotherapist, a validated clinical supervisor, and certified clinical trauma professional, ADHD therapist and coach, as well as the host of the Christina Crow podcast, Making the Invisible Visible, and the owner and founder of Dig a Little Deeper Psychotherapy and Counseling. They had an amazing conversation about so, so many points. They're going to hit on things about ADHD as a medical diagnosis, relationships, empathy, grace, articulating your feelings, other disorders that are highly associated with ADHD, as well as shifting to a spectrum-based language for ADHD and a more strength-based approach. Stick around to the end of the conversation when Nate and I elaborate more on this amazing conversation. Without further ado, Nate and Christina, you're going to love it. I'm excited that we, we got a chance to, to sit down here and, and, and chat. I've been following you on Instagram for, I don't know, maybe maybe like a year or so, probably. Okay. And I just kind of stumbled across your profile um, as I was just consuming more content around ADHD, like some of your stuff popped up. And I was just like, oh, man, I really just kind of appreciated and resonated with how you deliver your message and the the way that you talk about different things. So I just found it really interesting. And when I was setting up the season, I was like, I would wonder if Christina would want to come chit chat with me. So I'm excited we could uh, we could make yeah. it happen. I mean, I love that social media for all the hand wringing we do about it that it is such a wonderful place of connection, especially within this neurodivergent community, because it's so important that we know we're not alone and that that patients, clients, therapists, doctors, we're all no different. Like anyone mm-hmm. working in healthcare that has a passion for ADHD, like that's, that's not like they randomly woke up one day and said like, oh, I'm gonna subspecialize in this very <laughs> obscure thing that no one else knows anything about, right? It's, yeah. Uh, you know, they probably have it. They've got a family member with it. They've got a kid with it. For some reason, it's personal because ADHD, when, when you see that passion, I'm curious about whatever quality spoke to you about how, because as you know, there's lots of people now talking about it. But at one time, there wasn't. So, yeah, it, that's, I mean, I think a lot of people, so I'm, I'm 31. I was diagnosed when I was 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't, it hasn't really been a full year. Well, actually, now that we're in August, I think it kind of we're getting really close to that. But your anniversary, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I have been on this whole. I think like many millennials, they kind of find out about that there's this diagnosis because of what they see online, because of the mm-hmm. content that just they just find something on Instagram or TikTok, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this? Why is this connecting with me? Yeah. And then they start exploring, which was exactly what happened. With me, for, to a certain extent, I think it's the conversation started with my wife initially because yeah. she's um, a social worker uh, by, by trade and okay. worked with a lot of ADHD kids in, right. in schools. So she kind of understood some of the, 
different things to look for. And as we were just talking one day about my childhood and studying, she goes, you know, those are like very stereotypical ADHD symptoms that you're mm-hmm. describing. And then it kind of like launched into that. Um, but I was hoping to get your kind of thoughts and opinions on, on a couple couple topics. And one of them kind of is in line here with social media and the messaging that we see online, sure. um, because a lot of it is very, very positive and very affirming and uplifting and educational, which has been very helpful for people like myself mm-hmm. to have something to connect with. One of the questions I've always been trying to figure out is, this, this kind of idea of having this like darker side of ADHD in terms of how do I explain to somebody why this is actually a disability and why this isn't just some funny thing that some people deal with where we forget our keys and we forget why I walked into the room and I don't remember your name. Like, because I see a lot of that, like the lighthearted, funny stuff online. Yeah. But I feel like it's harder to kind of portray and explain some of that other content. And I was curious how you approach it and mm-hmm. if you have a similar interaction or if it's just the content that Instagram's throwing my way. Um, it, that's an excellent question and I'm really happy you asked me because I'm happy to address it. So as we know, we can't get a diagnosis from social media algorithms, although the algorithms are quite powerful right? And, and it, they're uncanny. And so, um, you know, are, are, is the platform itself conducive to a short attention span ADHD brain, right? Like looking for a constant dopamine drip. So therefore, we're all unconsciously driven to it. That's why there's such a huge, you know what I mean? The right. reality is, so if anywhere between five to 10% of adults in the world um, statistically have ADHD, but um, 80%, according to a lot of the, the global data, are actually undiagnosed. That means there's a lot of people out there who have it, who don't know it. I mean, maybe since the pandemic and social media and, and the explosion of ADHD content, we're making a dent in that. I think the dent is probably more in, in women. Women were more grossly underdiagnosed than men. Um, although men that are inattentive type tend to be fall into that same category where it's you fly under the radar for a really long time. And the one symptom that lingers into adulthood, regardless of the type you might have had as a child, is inattentiveness. And that shows up in our relationships and in the workplace and in parenting. Mm. So people get driven into therapy thinking that they've got some sort of relational problem. And it is a problem, but that's not the that's not what's driving your problem, right? Right. So to answer your question. There's a difference between feeling like I'm disorganized and just for is it because not everyone with ADHD is disorganized, right? Thinking that, oh, there's strategies and I can do something about that. And then you can do something about it versus <laughs> I can't do anything about it because the mechanism that is actually driving that challenge is an invisible, involuntary brain driven behavior. And that's why it's hard to explain to other people because it's invisible. So I can't explain to you how I'm breathing right now, but I'm breathing. Right. Or that my body's digesting my breakfast still. But it's doing it. It's involuntary. I don't have to say, okay, stomach, now digest my breakfast. It just knows what to do, right? Right. So when your brain function is supposed to know how to do something or develop in accordance with like what we understand to be a typical Mm -hmm. 
ability across your lifespan to master certain skills of executive function, for example, like planning and being able to imagine things out in front of you in time, like two weeks from now, I can kind of tell you what's happening. Said no ADHD or ever. <laughs> right? But a neurotypical person could potentially be able to do that and do that with greater ease the older they get. Right? And so yeah. the inability to control an involuntary brain function, the frustration with other people not understanding what they can't see because it's invisible, and then the natural progression of untreated ADHD leading to anxiety and untreated anxiety leading to depression is why this can be really bloody dark sometimes. Right. And that is that is a, the connection between ADHD, anxiety, and depression is something I've kind of learning learning more about, which I want to ask you about. But sure. my Did son's that here wants to ask me a question. That, well, does, that does make sense. Like I if think... God forbid I ever had cancer, I couldn't like tell my cancer cells to stop doing what they're doing and do the right thing, which is what we tell people with ADHD. Stop doing that and do it this way as if I have control over an invalid. You know what I mean? Like when you compare those two situations, it seems absurd, but they're kind of the same because it's a medical condition. And that's the frustrating part is when I think having people understand like, no, I, I know that I shouldn't yeah. do it this way, but like, I, I need you to know, like, I have no control over it. Yeah. And I think that conversation right. needs, it needs to happen a lot more. I'll layer one um, more nuance into this, right? So then everyone who's listening, who's like, oh, but then, you know, it's just an excuse to behave badly, blah, 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 right? I hear right. you. Because cause it, it is 100% not an excuse. It just explains why it's happening in the first place. Once we know that we have ADHD, it's not about getting in front of the impulse of these things because I don't know that we're going to do that. It's like 200 million years of human wiring, right? But once we're aware of it, not only does the person with ADHD have to work towards managing that in a proactive, different way, so does their partner and everyone around them that loves them. Yeah. And I mean, you're you're kind of going right into the second thing I want to ask you about, which is relationships and ADHD. That's mm -hmm. been a big thing for my wife and I. The connection or the, the conversation with someone like myself that has ADHD married to someone who doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, just that that came up so in so many times of what you were just saying. First off, you know, every married couple has things that they're trying to work on and improve. Of course. I'm big advocate well, for therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and counseling to work through lots of stuff. So we had a similar path with my wife and I where we were like, something's not right. And we can't get out of this pattern that we're in. We need to talk to somebody about this. And um, we connected with um, two individuals that we know well, um, and they were trying to like counsel us. And it got to the point where we were like, my wife and I both are feeling like there's this is not it. Yeah. Like this traditional problems with communication and men and women being different. Like that's this is not what we're experiencing. Thanks it's for, something. Thanks for, you guys for noticing that piece. That piece is really important. Yeah, and it was it was eye opening for me mm -hmm. because there was, you know, I'm, I'm talking with with these people who. We really respect and understand where they're coming from. And I'm like, I totally get what you're saying, but I just, I just don't think you're right. 
mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, prioritizing each other and taking care of each other. I'm like, yep, yeah. all good. Totally understand. That's yeah. not the issue. Yeah. So that was another like initial launching point for me to go, why am I beating my head against the wall? Why do I keep making these mistakes? Why do I keep making people I care about feel this way? Why is this happening? Like there's something else that's missing. And that was a launching point for me to go, maybe there's something mentally that I need, I personally need to understand. So when we dove into that, you know, light bulbs started going off. And once I started wrapping my arms around this diagnosis and actually got diagnosed and started talking with someone, a professional, there were a lot of things that my my wife and I are both like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. so this makes sense. Yeah. And it was really this idea of, it's not that I don't, I, it's not that I don't love you. I love you and you love me, mm-hmm. but we need to understand that your brain interprets this situation differently than mine. And it's yeah. not right or wrong. It's just yeah, different. It's okay. And that shift is hard it's huge. because we have someone. My, so my wife just does like we like you mentioned the uh, scene two weeks into the future. Yeah. Right. So we have trip, trips coming up currently this weekend we're going on a trip to see family next weekend we're going to see family you know a week or so ago she's thinking about what's happening and what's what's going on and i can't think past like this what's happening this week let me just focus on this week and when we get through that then maybe i can focus on what's happening differently and if we didn't understand our, our minds worked just differently, it could come. It comes across like I don't care. I expect her to do things, and you know, yeah. there's a whole lot of problems that can come there. So, um, where the, the, what I want your um, kind of, I guess, insight or, or expertise on is when you um, chat with people like myself, who's one of the spouses is ADHD. What are some of those common issues that you see, or what are certain things that people should be looking out for? if their spouse has ADHD or if they do and their spouse doesn't like how what sort of advice can you kind of give people to navigate that conversation initially yeah um you you did a really great job of articulating I think what that feeling is from from your side in therapy that like "Mm, this isn't really landing there's something else I don't know what it is but there's something else Mm. there and as a couples therapist I can say when I'm working with a couple I'm like oh my god I love these guys they're in love with each other like they really do deeply care what it's what else is it right yeah. there's something else and so it's a similar feeling on both sides of the therapy room I would say and so that's a signal to therapists that that they've got to look a little deeper into maybe some differential diagnoses, which which is supposed to happen before you can even determine that you can do couples therapy with a couple, is making sure there's no untreated medical conditions happening, which I think probably doesn't happen a lot. So remember, did you ever see that movie with Bradley Cooper, He's Just Not That Into You? Do you know that movie? <laughs> I, mean, I think I have. <laughs> so it's been a while. Up, like an entire generation of women. <laughs> Okay. And people, because the premise of that movie is that if a guy is into you, he will make it happen. And if you're chasing a guy, so this is very heteronormative, but if you're a, a female mm-hmm. a woman and you're chasing a guy down and he's just not that into you and you need to cut your losses and run, right? And that informed, I think, a lot of women coming to therapy saying, I'm done. I've given up. I, it, you know, what he says doesn't match what he does. 
and vice versa. Like this can happen with women too, of course, obviously. (laughs) And so when you have that dynamic happening and you, you, you know, your partner loves you, it's not a matter of feeling unloved, but you're frustrated with their inconsistent execution of what you've agreed on is either how you want to live together or your shared values or how you should do things like pay bills or whatever. Who's going to pick up the kids or who makes lunch? Every day is a shit show. We're not figuring out dinner until four o'clock the day of. It's like life. You're just constantly chasing and running. And it it can feel like that um, when you just have young kids, just by nature of having young kids and being two working parents. I mean, that's really hard. It's the most pressure on you probably at any time of your like young married life. But when life is just chaos for a repeated period of time and you eventually just get tired like those are the indicators that like why, why aren't we able to pull back on this and, mm-hmm. and bring some peace and structure and routine into our lives to give us all some breathing room when you know you need to do that but you can't that's when we i you know for me it's kind of obvious i've got a screen for adhd and look for it right mm-hmm. and and i think the biggest perspective shift is actually what you mentioned which is actually recognizing Oh, my partner's brain is different. They're not doing this to torture me. And what happens, what can go wrong in couples therapy once we figure out ADHD is that all it becomes focused on is like, oh, let's fix, quote unquote, the partner with ADHD. And the non-ADHD partner is like washing their hands of the situation and saying, take care of your business. Clearly the problems are stemming from you. But then I like to pull it back and say like, well, let's just slow, slower jets here a little bit because it's a dynamic and it goes both ways. So the non-ADHD person needs to figure out how they can get comfortable with pulling back on all the support they've been unwittingly giving their ADHD partner, right? They're often the over-functioners and it's really hard to pull back. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much described... Yeah, well, I think you pretty much described uh, my, uh, my wife and I's marriage pretty well there uh, in a couple yeah, of different, uh, couple of different areas. All of so Nate. Like, that's why it's such an easy pattern to pick up. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. I, and know, I think... I like to say we can smell it walking down the street. They walk in the door and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's it's so obvious to someone like yourself yeah, who has the ability way. to educate others. Was not so obvious to my my wife and I. Of course. Um, but we, you know, that was a major a big struggle for us. Was why can't we figure this out? And then once I, you know, we both understood and had a diagnosis. We're like, okay, this is a this is a thing. Mm-hmm. The message that was given to me a lot was. You know, you you're gonna have to continuously help your wife understand that this isn't because this isn't happening because I don't love you. It's it's happening because yes. I just interpret this different than you. Yeah. And I understand that it's frustrating. Like it's I can understand why those situations yeah. are frustrating. I just need you to understand that I'm not doing this on purpose to yeah. make you upset. It's not personal. And if we can find that ground there. Mm-hmm. that's when we're like, oh, okay, things can be way better. But well, and, and maybe you know. there were things she was doing and, and partners do in general that they, they it seems like the obvious thing to do to help, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And then it just becomes a pattern. It, it probably does help. But maybe it's it's not actually the thing. Like, so when it comes to like, we're good at talking about the accommodations we need at work. And we're not good at talking about the accommodations we need to give each other in our relationships, which is essentially grace. 
and what that oh, looks yeah. like, right? How we redefine what it's going to be versus our expectation of what we thought we were signing up for. But then to get back to a place, to your point about the question about disability earlier, where we we make some room to, I guess, appreciate this the the diversity and the strength that it actually brings to the relationship. Because the reality is, is you guys were attracted to each other for a reason in the first place. You know what I mean? And so we, that that can get lost and we for, can forget about those things with the responsibilities of adulting and life and humdrum day in and day out pressures. Um, so it's important to like unpack that. Like traditional couples therapy can kind of help with some of that stuff too. But I really think an ADHD lensed therapist for couples therapy, if, if there is ADHD in a couple dynamic is really important for those reasons because um, it can make you feel like you're you're failing everything and make things worse often yeah i uh could resonate with that for sure mm-hmm. i think the the call out on having grace is such a big one um it was it was big for for jess and i um both ways right because i'm coming to her and going I need you to have a ton of grace for me in these areas because I can't tell you that this this pattern's not going to continue. Like it's going to happen again. This situation that's getting really frustrating is going to mm-hmm. happen again. Um, but we can just both work together to figure out a better way to to handle it before or after. And then also for me, knowing that like you know the classic situation will be why like she is upset about something and is wondering like why did you do this like why are you doing this thing whatever it yeah. is and i know it's like well because my brain operates in this really annoying way that's not the same as yours which causes problems mm-hmm. but you know i always try to find myself going but her brain doesn't so of course this is upsetting so trying to like have grace for each person that way yeah is super difficult but when we can both kind of just take a step back and hear each other and understand that's where we find we're able to move forward but um it's definitely super frustrating articulated i think two really important things that i hear you talking about that for your listeners is really important number one is like actually articulating your process so the biggest benefit of getting a formal diagnosis and going to ADHD adapted therapy or coaching is that you learn how to find the words to talk about where you're coming from and what your experience is. And before a diagnosis, you don't, we don't have any language because we don't know why we're different. We just take all the things we hear from culture, from our parents, from school, from the internet, from Instagram to try and describe it, but none of it feels like we own it personally, right? So that's one thing you're doing that like you're you're saying here's how my brain works please right but that's mm-hmm. that's actually really that's actually really sophisticated relational communication skill so bravo to you for figuring that out oh great <laughs> and 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 the second thing is i think is like being able to um ask for some wiggle room some space for what you need, but both people, it goes both ways. There's a double empathy problem. People that are neurotypical are frustrated by us and we are easily just as frustrated by them because they can seem really rigid. And and people with ADHD can be quite rigid as well, but for different reasons. And so, 
there's it's hard to empathize. So for you to be able to say, like you just said, I can imagine what it feels like for her. Like that's that's what empathy is, right? So amazing. <clears throat> I think it's amazing that you've if you if everyone could have more grace, more empathy, and more articulation about where they're coming from in their relationships, like whoa. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think it's definitely two things that are can be. I think it kind of comes naturally for some people, and it's very hard for others. But identifying that is 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 key. And like you said, I didn't realize initially, you know, how helpful therapy was to give to give you language, mm-hmm. because I initially was looking at it and go, just like help me understand, help me figure out me. Yeah. Because so, I don't even understand what is happening and it's it's causing all these problems. I need you to help me understand. Yeah. But then what I ended up happening was, like you said, now I have language to, to communicate about what my mind is experiencing and what I mm-hmm. feel, which I didn't know before. And I think that's probably why TikTok and Instagram is so effective and so eye-opening for so many people because oh, yeah. people get good at displaying how you are feeling because they're mm-hmm. feeling it too like, right yeah. so they can visually yeah. Yeah. represent what you're feeling and i i'll never forget the one the first video i ever shared showed my wife it was somebody and they just visually represented what their mind is like in a work environment mm. and how and, and how everything was firing and i still get like goosebumps when i think about it because i remember seeing that and this had been like when ADHD was starting to be a conversation. My wife and I were starting to have, and I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah. that's it. Like that's it. And I remember showing this as to my wife and going, this is me, just so you know, like mm-hmm. this is me. And that was the only way I knew how to talk about it. But like you said, now like going through different types of therapy, like definitely can give language for better for for better communication which i think is it's helped us a ton and i think that's one of the reasons why we're here and why jess and i do this is so Mm -hmm. we can hear for people like yourselves and share other stories of how people can talk about this and communicate so yeah um anytime we can have stories i'll just say it can be hard sometimes like the one downside of that is there's lots of mental health conditions where our executive function goes offline like when we're if you have anxiety and not adhd then your executive function goes online whenever you have an anxiety attack or you're feeling anxious, right? The difference is that when you're not anxious and you recover, your executive function comes back online, and that's pretty reliable. Oh, right? interesting. So that's, with, yeah. so with ADHD, your executive function is eh, sometimes there, sometimes it's, it's only there when you're interested in something, really, truly, or when you get inspired to suddenly reorganize your basement. So it has to, it's, it's dependent on invisible things that are hard you can never reliably trust that it's going to be there and it's independent of whether you're if your mind is spiraling at night because it never shuts off that's different from a mind spiral where you're ruminating and really worried and upset about something i'm really glad that you nuances right well yeah because i'm really glad that you kind of called out that difference there because If someone said, oh, I have a lot of problems with executive function, me would go, well, yeah, because you probably have ADHD. Like, I would not have made the connection. Yeah, that, executive function that's... goes offline all the time, right? For, yeah. for lots of different reasons. It's just really different. It's a different experience when you have ADHD. <laughs> yeah, and I think 
I'm, I'm again. I'm glad that you could like verbalize and explain that because I think that mm -hmm. just specific understanding is is very helpful. And uh, for, can I go back to just the disability question yeah. from the beginning? Because I don't think I really yeah. answered that. Like so. I also like to say, if you've met one person with ADHD, you've only met one person with ADHD. Because, the, so the origin of all of the symptoms come from the same place, and there's not, there's not a lot of difference brain to brain to brain, right? I mean, there's other comorbidities and stuff, but ADHD itself. But what makes the difference is the environments people grow up in and the rest of their genetics and all the other things that impact who we become as human beings, right? That's why the presentations become really different because you can have everybody from, from, from a success, quote unquote, point of view and the traditional idea of success from like, you know, Sir Richard Branson at one end mm -hmm. to like three quarters of the prison population at the other end. And what's right. the difference between those groups? Sir, is Sir Richard Branson disabled by his ADHD? Doesn't seem like it. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I don't think anybody would look at me and say, I could never claim a disability tax credit. Are there times in my life where, despite the things that I'm good at and my strengths and my successes, my life has been an inexplicable dumpster fire? A hundred percent, way more than it ever should have been, mm. right? Does that mean I'm disabled? I suppose in those moments, probably, but on the whole, probably not. But for some people, on the whole, everything is a dumpster fire almost all the time and they can't get what they need and they're surrounded by people with the same untreated mental health conditions so they don't even have people around them they can lean on and rely on and does it become a disability compounding over time for them a thousand percent right yeah so it affects yeah. everybody differently and to different extents i guess is my point i love that you brought that up because again i although like you said, if you if you met one person with ADHD, you've met one person with ADHD. Mm -hmm. I think before we know that that's what we're dealing with, right? Pre-diagnosis, mm -hmm. there are a lot of commonalities that people kind of gravitate towards. Again, going well, back we to what we each see. Other. Like we all immediately when you meet another person with ADHD, if you don't know it, they don't know it. Those people that you just get, that you just click with. Yeah. You can not talk to for five years and you pick up and you're like, oh, my God, it's like it was yesterday because we have a working memory deficit. Hello. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so funny because now that I have a diagnosis. Person. Yeah. I There are definitely people in my life mm -hmm. where I'm like, now oh. I know. Yeah. You don't know, but I feel like I do. Either mm -hmm. I, we are on the same page more than you think we are. Yeah. Uh, but um, one of the things that was that I, I'm really happy that I got the diagnosis. I have an official right diagnosis for so many reasons, but one is just for more confidence in, in understanding myself in the sense that every person that has ADHD, like you said, experiences it differently, does things better in one area, struggles in another area. So it can be hard if you're like unsure if this is what you're dealing with and you see a whole bunch of people talking about mm -hmm. like, man, I cannot remember my schedule. And you're like, I remember my schedule totally fine, but I can't remember, I can't brush my teeth four days in a row to save my life. Yeah. Like, and there are people like, what? Yeah. Like, and then you start to like doubt, like, oh, I don't know. It's just, maybe I'm faking it. Like, am I, that whole thing is hard. Mm -hmm. But once, so that's why it's, it was so helpful for me to have a, like a professional say, no, 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 this is a thing. Yeah. Let's just understand how it resonates with you. Right. And that's very comforting and very affirming because now I can like have confidence that 
I'm not making this up and like things are actually real. And like you said, the whole disability thing is really hard for me to kind of understand a lots of neurotypicals to really kind of accept because outwardly Mm -hmm. you're not, you seem fine. You're not schizophrenic. Right? You're not yep. dealing with these outwardly visible things that everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's a huge problem. Yeah. It's it's not as visible, which can be good or bad, but definitely overall can be kind of frustrating. Well, and, and probably only like 25% of people, I think the data shows, have just ADHD, right? Okay. 25% of people have ADHD plus something else. And the most common thing maybe is ADHD plus anxiety. Um, and then maybe some mood disorders or ADHD plus autism, which isn't a mental health condition, but lands us sometimes on a therapist couch. And, and then you can have ADHD and schizophrenia and ADHD and bipolar disorder one. Right. And so I always say like ADHD is like hot sauce. It's an intensifier. So it makes good things better and it makes bad and hot things much more worse and fiery. So going in to treat the ADHD really well actually helps all the other comorbid conditions you could have because it comes easier to tend to whatever those treatment protocols are and to be consistent right yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense um and i I, that's interesting you bring up the adhd and autism uh, kind of subject there because that's one thing i just hear a lot is that there is a there i don't i don't want to say correlated or, or close together but there there's some overlap in terms of having one and the other. Yeah, there's like um, a 30 to 50% overlap. 30 to 50, that's way yeah. higher than I thought it would be. That's crazy. High, yeah. So why, and maybe I just don't understand this correctly, but at least in the States, when mm-hmm. we talk about ADHD, it is not a spectrum. We have, it's been, it's talked about as ADHD, ADHD combined, there are these things but it's, I haven't really heard of it talked as ADHD as a spectrum, like mm-hmm. autism is talked about as it is a spectrum. Do well, the, you yeah, the, think that's so, right or wrong or? Well, I'm not, so I'm not autistic myself. I'm not an autism expert. So um, what I can say though, is the history of ADHD and what we've called it, you know, it, it's been described in the medical literature for over 200 years. So there's a lot to look back on, and it's gone from being looked at as a disease to a disorder. Hmm. Now it's really looked at more of like as a difference. Um, a lot There's a lot of clinicians out there that would consider it a spectrum. So I think it just depends on whether you're maybe talking to a psychologist versus a psychiatrist. Like there's, there's different um, uh, treatment lenses that come in. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing more spectrum-based language because it does if, it does show up differently in everybody, right? And I, I personally think that would be advantageous is yeah. if we looked at it through a lens of a spectrum mm-hmm. because I think that gives people maybe more comfort to understand that they are different than someone else yeah. that has ADHD, but they're, it's, they're still on that same team, if you will. Yeah, the the difference with ADHD as well is in when you look at ADHD as a medical condition, meaning where we've got a part of our body, an organ that is functioning the way it's functioning because it doesn't have, because there's a lack of neurotransmitter activity in our prefrontal cortex, right? 
Mm -hmm. um, and so if you replace the neurotransmitter, then you get back to what our understanding is, is a fully functioning prefrontal cortex activity, and you can kind of get on with your life, right? Similar to if you're born with like type 1 diabetes, your pancreas is pooched, it's not making insulin, we just replace the insulin and off you go. You still have to not smoke and wear sunscreen and watch your macros, right? Mm -hmm. It's So it's just, it's, it's actually a fairly simple thing, aside from monitoring, to right. fix, for lack of a better word. We don't need yeah. to fix anything in autism. There's nothing to be fixed. It's not a medical condition. It is a way of being in the world, right? That's the difference. So... Yes, you can look at ADHD as a spectrum 100%, but if it's preventing you from living a life that you deem functional or that you want to be able to live because of a, a physiological difference in your body that is medically right or wrong, it's seen as a deficit because it can be replaced and restore functioning, then, then why wouldn't you want to do that for yourself, right? It's like saying, <laughs> yeah, I exactly. want glasses... I'm nearsighted because the natural solution to nearsightedness is to squint, right? Right. <laughs> and you can squint. Squint till your socks fall off. You can squint. <laughs> you don't have to wear glasses. But if you want to see 2020 like everybody else, then you got to get glasses. Like there's just no right. way around that, right? Right. So it still comes right. down to personal choice. And our vision prescription is on a spectrum, right? <laughs> yeah, you there know you know go. I mean? So that's, no, that's good. how I think about it. That's how I teach it. That's what I know to be true based on my clinical experience and training. Well, I love it. That's a great, <laughs> great perspective. I'm really glad that you explained that because I find that super helpful. Cool. Um, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit and um, I forget, let me write it down. You had a, you had a conversation um, on your podcast with... Uh, Krista Carlin, mm -hmm. and you guys were talking about ADHD as a superpower and that phrase. And I was really glad that you guys brought that up because that was another thing that kind of gets tossed around a lot that like some people that have ADHD are like, this is a superpower and this is great. And then some people that have it are like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. And right. I definitely find myself on that ladder side of this where people are like no this is great this is so helpful yeah and i'm like i can't think of two things that make my life better because of this yet all i'm where i'm at now is just mm -hmm. understanding that there's a lot of things that is a problem so i'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts around well that yeah i agree with you so the, what we said was that we don't i i don't love that phrasing that adhd is a superpower um, because I think it minimizes the things that are really hard about it. I think probably right. the origin of that comes from pediatrics and working with kids and wanting to make sure it's framed in a way that kids don't feel shamed by the, the label, which that's understandable. And then I totally. think there's a strengths-based approach and a function-based approach, which is where I kind of firmly sit, which comes in a little bit, a little bit in from superpower language to... Um, there's stuff that's really hard, but there's actually stuff you can do with your brain that other people can't do, and it's cool. And what we need to do is is get all the hard stuff treated and out of the way so we can get to that, right? Mm -hmm. And I almost think it's kind of like one of the images that I've tried to use with people sometimes. It's like imagine it's like Christmas morning if you celebrate Christmas, 
And it's like the thing, you know, you asked for that you've been dying for that you wanted all year. There's a there's a box under the tree. It looks like the thing. You're pretty sure you got the thing. And you're super excited and you can't wait for everyone else to come down so you can tear into that gift. Except except you've got your hands tied behind your back. And if you want to open it, you got to do it with like your teeth or your feet or something. That's what it's like living with ADHD. And getting treated and having it identified is like, oh, you're free to unwrap your gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, me, that's, to me, that's it, right? I like that. I like that a lot. I, um, I, I, I like the way that you kind of phrase that in terms of it can be a process because that's process. what I'm experiencing yeah. is this whole kind of first wave of yeah. new life is just a lot of, okay, this behavior that I don't like is connected here. This pattern that is not great is connected here. This relationship struggle is connected. And it's like, okay, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. In, in, yeah, you can you want to label them good or bad. But I mean, after a while, right? All you're doing is working on stuff and identifying all the dumpster fires in your life, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, we have to we have to remember to balance that with the successes like the successes didn't happen or the good things didn't happen um, in spite of it. They happen because of you, because of your own resourcefulness, because of the magic of who you are, which includes being neurodivergent, being able to think in a nonlinear way and being able to rebound in ways that maybe other people can't. Sure, maybe it was because you got distracted and then hyper focused into something else, but that was protective in that moment, right? Yeah, and it, you're you're totally right. And I think they're they're the the good side of identifying all the quote unquote bad things is that there there is a lot of um, I don't know joy or satisfaction yeah. or happiness that comes from going. Now I understand why this happens. Yeah. Because now I know what we can. There can be a game plan. We can figure this out. Like that provides relief. Mm-hmm. So it's not all like, even though we're talking about things like I'm not a big fan of that this happens, mm-hmm. talking about them and working through it does bring a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you're right. There's definitely needs to be space for understanding the positive, clearly positive things and why they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think people, when they, if, if they can understand that, is it more of like a, well, if I know that this good thing is on purpose because of how my brain works i can now repeat that i can find ways to repeat it or is it just a more better understanding of how things work a hundred percent like the mystery of the good things that happened is it shouldn't be a mystery it's only a mystery to people with adhd because it it was almost like it was chance like good luck Mm -hmm. right but if we examine the circumstances in your life that were separate from you so the environment at the time that probably had a lot to do with the good things that happened. And now that we can look back and know what those are, we can recreate them. Because all the interventions with ADHD that we do actually should be outside of us. Because there's nothing actually wrong with us. It's that we respond and are so sensitive to our environment that when the environment changes, you get a new boss, something happens, then all of a sudden your whole life has gone to shit in one moment. And then the the intensity of that despair is something that's unique, that feeling. If, if you're listening, if your listeners have ADHD, the emotional dysregulation 
People come in and they, they, everyone's convinced they have bipolar disorder. They're like, oh, my God, I, I looked up emotional mood swings and ups and downs, and this must be what I have. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's break it down. Interesting. And, sure Interesting. Enough, it's not that, right? The, like the lifetime prevalence for ADHD is almost, it's, it's double, almost triple, that of bipolar disorder. <coughs> One, you know, so bipolar one's quite serious and shouldn't be taken lightly and absolutely has a very... Um, a treatment protocol that needs to be adhered to for that level of functioning and safety that you'd want to have in your life. Um, but bipolar 2 is an interesting space that um, looks a lot like ADHD and, and might actually be ADHD when you look at the number of people that are undiagnosed and the lifetime prevalence versus that of bipolar 2. Crazy. That's crazy. Again, I, that's not something I would have ever thought. I would never have, have thought that those, um, A, that people come to you and go, I think this is what it is. Oh, my gosh, all um, the time. Because of Instagram. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, again, for better, for worse, right? Yes. For better, for worse. If they get, if they get, if that helps get someone to yourself, yeah. someone like you, I feel like that's a positive thing. Yeah. Um, I do get concerned when, um, you know, a lot of people try to, change who they are how they act because of things that they see and feel like this is who they're supposed to be now and that that can get tough but i think yeah. you know that's why we need people like yourself who have the ability to kind of work through things like that with people and, and yeah. kind of help shed light on how how things are working in their mind yeah and i and because you know a lot of mental health services are so inaccessible for like funding and reimbursement reasons both in the u.s and in canada you know, uh, kudos to all the therapists out there that are putting out really good, high quality content because no one's no one's getting paid for that. Right. Like it's yeah. just it's pro bono education, mental health literacy building work that's out there. Um, and uh, that's great. That's great that that stuff is out there. Yeah. Well, you know, Christina, I feel like I could keep talking to you for like three more hours. Um, I know we both don't have that much time. Um, Look at you managing time like a rock star. Look, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) this is, it's so funny you say that because this is one of the environments that I do a fairly good job of. We were just in a therapy session the other day, my wife and I, and that was what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. I had a lunch date that went like an hour and a half two hours mm-hmm. and it was just like total lost track of time like oh my gosh i gotta go and then it was like well yeah you know you might struggle with keeping track of time like how often does that happen i'm like mm-hmm. i don't know i do a pretty good job in other situations <laughs> i can stay well, on you, time you things, have so. a clock in front of you right now that you can look at on your computer screen yeah that is helpful it's right here and i can tell it it's human and engaged and it's interesting and having fun and you know what i mean yeah that's a great point um, so, so Christina, if, <laughs> if, um, you know, I always love to try and connect people that listen here with other professionals that mm-hmm. might be more challenging if I have listeners who are in the U.S., not in Canada, can't come and see you. Right. But if people want to learn more about you and your practice and your point of view, where are the best places for people to go to kind of connect with you some more? Um, our website for our group is digalittledeeper.ca. 
Um, so that's that's the, the best place to find like loads of information myself and my team who are all highly ADHD trained. Um, so you're right in that we provide psychotherapy services in even Ontario, not even Canada wide, although we do service PEI as well, another province. Um, we can do ADHD coaching for Americans who are interested, but there I think there's lots oh, of ADHD okay. coaches in the States. I don't know that they need to come to us for that. But um that that is available as well. Um and just lots of free information. And my Instagram handle is dig a little deeper therapy. The website's dig a little deeper.ca. My TikTok is not that. It's the end of my name, Stina, S-T-I-N-A-905. Because when I joined TikTok, it wasn't to do work videos. It was to like watch cat videos during the pandemic. Yeah. Everybody else. <laughs> like then, everybody else. And it ended up like, happening. <laughs> yeah. So I do lots more than just ADHD because my Instagram and my Instagram is kind of like I tried it. It's like for the whole group, but it is really highly ADHD focused. It ends up being that way because it's an easy thing. It's an easy area. It's, there's so much misinformation to correct. It's become so easy to make videos, right? Um, yeah, well, that's how I got connected with you, and I'm yeah. very, very happy that you're doing that um, because it's been great for me. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, your podcast as well. I'll have links for everyone listening in the description yeah, that's to cool. check Thank those you. out. Yeah, um, I've listened to a number of the episodes. Lots of fun making those. I'm on a I'm on a high summer hiatus right now, but we'll be back in the fall. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. I we did season one. We took a break, yeah. and now we're trying to do season two. And doing it in the summer has proven to be rather difficult. It's very busy it's and hard. also just trying to re-engage and get things done. Yeah. Not my favorite, but um, this is the fun part. So, Christina, thanks again for joining. This has been so fun, and I hope we get a chance to chat again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nate. It was lovely to meet you, and uh, please say hi to your wife, too. What an episode. I feel like that was an incredible first conversation to jump off season two. That was so fun. Christina was such a joy to speak to. That was the first time we've ever spoken to each other, like, on the phone. It was and... amazing. I, I feel like I agreed with you. I feel like you guys could have talked for three more hours. And honestly, I think I would have listened because she was incredibly eloquent and had so much wisdom and knowledge and I learned a ton. I, I, I should have counted how many times I said, oh, I agree. Or, oh, that's so great. <laughs> right? Like so many things. If you haven't listened to her podcast, go check it out. Um, because it's just all like this. You can tell she's a pro. Mm -hmm. It was great. But um, I mean, we could spend three hours talking about the conversation, but I'm really curious to hear what were some of the highlights for you? What were some of the things that you took down as most impactful? I mean, I, I took a lot of notes. I took a lot of notes. But I feel like she put professional knowledge to a lot of the things that we've like jibber-jabbered about for an entire season mm -hmm. and things that we've tried to articulate. And she even like complimented you multiple times on how you were articulating things, which is incredibly encouraging because it's a two-way street over here for you and I. So for her to be hitting on that and saying like you're articulating things well I was like cheering for you as well and also like yeah look at us go like we're, <laughs> we're learning our language here um but it was just it was just really interesting I mean a lot of the words that she was using even like 
talking about finding words is is part of the diagnosis and before your diagnosis it was just this argument of we're just different we're just different right and like that was a huge piece for us as well as her hitting on the um concept of empathy and grace and again her recognizing that those are such huge huge pivotal pieces to us sustaining our marriage um i also think it was just incredible to hear her say words like neurotypical and neurodivergent like we don't use those words and it was nice for me to hear those words and go oh yeah there are actual terms that we should be learning yeah this idea that there's language that can be used Mm -hmm. um and terms like that that mean a very specific thing is good to know and remember that you know those are words that have meaning um and also just talking about how going through therapy can give me and you language to describe what we're thinking and and how we're navigating this that was a really interesting piece because like i mentioned in in the conversation not something i anticipated leaving therapy with but definitely super helpful Mm. one of the other things that i loved that she talked about and i think i'm still trying to grasp as the one with the neurotypical brain look at me go look at you is this idea that you really can't just turn it off, that it is a medical condition, that it, like she was saying, it's involuntary, like like you're breathing, like you have cancer. You're not going to just say, okay, body, get rid of the cancer cells. Like you, this is just the way your brain is and it's a medical condition. And I think that idea of constantly telling a person with ADHD, well, just stop, just sit still. Right. Just do it differently are still things that I sometimes catch myself saying to you or getting frustrated by and like, man, I wish you could just change this. I wish you could just control this. And I don't know that that's ever going to go away completely because we do have different brains. And I think that's probably something that any marriage, any couple butts over, right? Is that we, we operate differently. But I feel like in this terminology, it's like, helping even me to hear her say over and over and over again, like, you can't fix it. It's not something to be fixed. Right. And this idea that going off the idea of it's, it's not something that can be kind of turned on and turned off because, um, although we think differently just because we're, you know, we're we're married and we think differently, our brains work differently just without the ADHD, but, reminding ourselves that there's going to be plenty of situations where it can be pretty easy for you to be like, okay, I need you to not, you know, you've never said this to me, but I think it's easy to be like, I need you to not be ADHD right now. I need you to kind of be in this moment. Mm. And it is, it's hard because it's not like that can just be turned off. And it's very difficult. Is it helpful when I say, like, I really need you to focus right now? Like, look at me. I need you to focus right now. Um, yeah. Is can, that helpful or is that rude? Um, I mean, coming from you and going to me, it's not rude because I know you love me. I wouldn't say that to anyone else. But <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> not yeah. Not walking I think, up to strangers yeah. and being like, focus. Yeah, I think it it's helpful for me in, in how okay. you've, you've done it in the past because um, we... Just because of how we communicate, I know what you're trying to tell me. And that in that we've learned that I have to get your attention. Right. If there's something really important. 
Right. Something. Yeah. There's something that you need to do to kind of bring me back in. If you don't think I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. The last piece that I just loved that she talked about towards the end of the episode was just this strengths-based approach versus the superpower. And this is something that you've been wrestling with for a long time is the idea that <clears throat> is that your ADHD has superpowers and trying to figure out like what what does that even mean? Right. Um, and hearing her describe it as like you have to get through all of the hard junk first. And I feel like you're still digging. We're still trying to get through the hard junk and we haven't gotten to that Christmas morning scenario that she described yeah. so adorably. And it just like makes any parent go, Oh, cause we all <laughs> love Christmas morning with our kids. Um, but yeah, I feel I, like we're still in the junk digging. Yeah. And I, th- I would totally agree. Um, and I love that she, um, brought that up and, and, and phrased it that way because, it's very comforting to know yeah. like, oh, just because I don't sit here and go, oh, I know all the reasons why all the positive sides of this doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong or, or, that or I'm being too negative. Him. Oh, yeah. Or that I'm never going to be able to figure that out because, you know, I asked her, is this it, identifying the strengths? Is that important so you can repeat certain things? Right. And she she said yes. And just thinking about that a little bit more, I don't know if I... Because she said it's like crafting the environment. So once you figure out how it worked and why it worked, then you go, okay, well, what was happening around me that needs to happen? Because it's yeah. not it's not you. It's what do we have to line up all around you to make your brain fire that way, right. to make it successful again. And it's like once you hit that, she's like, that's the Christmas morning. That's the the gift yeah and i think um yeah it's really really comforting to have someone bring that up and just she wasn't really trying to encourage me but it was encouraging for me to have someone kind of walk through that way yeah she was a major encouragement i think oh yeah i um when she uh she complimented me on our my ability to like recognize or our ability to kind of have grace and understanding for each other and be able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. That was, that felt really nice for her to kind of recognize that and compliment us on that because we, I think we've definitely gotten really a lot better at that over these last 12 months or so. And that's been a really big deal. And you did a good job wrapping up the conversation. Stayed on time. It didn't last two hours. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Well, this was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I hope you're enjoying our kind of recaps here. Um, Stay tuned for our next episode next week. And we'll talk to you soon. You can check out the description for this podcast. And it has all of Christina's information. How you can find her website. Website her Instagram and her TikTok, as well as a link to her podcast, which is incredible. So make sure you go check out everything. Christina, Christina Crow. Time to wrap it up. Wrap it up. Okay. Bye. Love you. Love you too.